Welcome to the FPC Thomasville podcast. We believe human life has a designer. So learning to live by design will help you thrive within all your spheres of influence. Today, Reverend Skylar Adams will share a message titled Undivided Love as part of our Unhurried Sermon Series. The scripture passage for today is Matthew 16, 19 through 25, which will help us answer the question, where is your treasure? We continue a series uh, titled Unhurried, and we're looking at how we as God's people move from a place of restlessness to a place of rhythm. And we're doing that at the start of the year to, to hopefully give us priorities, give us a chance to consider how our lives, um, probably weekly, seem to switch those two. And through a number of, of different things, today being treasure, we find that our hearts choose to live restlessly. So this morning we're, we continue that series and we'll be looking at it through the lens of our treasure. The message uh, this morning is titled, Undivided Love. And from it, we're going to see that, you know, despite some of you being married to your rival's alma mater, God doesn't work that way. You can't love Georgia and Auburn. Undivided love. So but to orient you to our text, if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to uh, Matthew chapter 6. I don't know if you've been to a conference or, uh, I don't know, some, some sort of, uh, maybe, maybe when you started a new job and uh, you, you felt like you were getting information from a fire hose, sort of the fire hose effect, you know what it is, where it's, like, it's as if somebody has opened that valve and you are just getting bamboozled with gallons of water. Well, I want to prepare you for that because Jesus has been preaching for I don't know how long, but he... He, his voice is high, uh, the crowd's attention is, is sharp, and he is running, and he is, um, in other words, letting it all hang out. And we're coming to a section of scripture right here situated in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's been preaching for some time, and we're going to jump right in to the deep end. A lot of times we refer to, we prefer to, you know, show up and, and let it be sort of a trickle effect. Okay, give me one thing at a time. You know, not, not, not 50, but Jesus intends an effect with the way in which he speaks with such brevity, with such directness. So let's arrive mid-plenary session as Jesus is preaching. Matthew chapter 6, uh, beginning with verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice what he says next. The eye is the lamp of the body, so... If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, George Auburn, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Maybe if you're kids, sorry. Maybe maybe if you have two kids, one's at one and the other. Okay, there's an example. Sorry, I didn't mean to get you out of the text. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, May your word be a lamp to our hearts and a light to our path that that we would see all the ways that you would be shining a floodlight into those areas and and leading us out, up, forward with your gospel. Speak to us by your word. Give us strength to respond with courage. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So riffing off Dave Ramsey, how do we find financial peace? Or, as I think we'll get to in a moment, how do you find peace? And here's the answer. If you remember nothing that I say, um, I think Jesus is, is preaching to us this answer. The only way to find peace, the only way to find financial peace and, and general peace is to treasure the one who treasures you. Treasure the one who treasures you. Here's the problem. You and I don't believe it. We don't believe it. We don't, and maybe it's just a season or a day or every morning, I don't know, or uh, or maybe not now, but sometime in your past, you've certainly been at a place where you've doubted whether or not you were indeed treasured. I think of a couple of ways personally where, where this doubt seeps into my heart. One is my failures are too great. Right? My mistakes are too much. How can someone treasure someone who, who has done that? Maybe you can relate. Or if you're really you know, introspective, um, man, if God only knew my headspace, how would he treasure that? Why? Another is, I doubt too often. And maybe not intellectually, but, but certainly functionally. Worries um, seem to outrun trust weekly. Why would God treasure that person? So it's with, it's with that doubt and, and with the truth that the only way to find peace is to treasure the one who treasures you leads us back to our text. When you don't, Christian, when you don't think you're treasured, you begin to seek treasure that you think will treasure you. You seek depreciating treasure. Not to be too clever, but my two points, the first one, I just, I laugh at myself sometimes. This is rusty storage unit one, all right? We're gonna get to shiny storage unit two in a minute. But the first point is that when you don't think you're treasured, you seek treasure you think that will provide that treasure for you. And we see that in our pursuit of depreciating, decaying, decomposing treasure. If you look back at the text, 
he gets right to it. Just as I said, there, there is no delay. There's no entry point. There's no sort of gradual uptick. After all, we're right in the middle of his uh, penultimate sermon. And he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The verb for lay up uh, for yourselves there, it's... Um, it's literally transliterated into uh, what we have as a thesaurus. Um, the, the word, um, we didn't think very far, I guess, in the English language, but a thesaurus is literally the Greek noun from which this verb is derived. And, you know, technically speaking, you, know, you think about a thesaurus, it sort of um, collects groupings of words, synonyms, antonyms, right? And so when you find a word and you look in a thesaurus, you see sort of this receptacle where all these sort of similar and, and dissimilar words are kept. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do not create for yourself a receptacle, a, a, a bin of these treasures that are only found here on earth. Why? Because they don't last. They depreciate. It's like buying the car. As soon as you drive away, um, it, it's lost significant value. New York Times Magazine did a, um, a study on, uh, <laughs> on the amount of storage units we have. And um, this was a 10-year, this study was done 10 years ago. And it found that, that, uh, that we have enough storage, uh, 10 years ago, storage units, so to speak, um, to, to um, put a canopy, as it called a covering. The, the materials of the storage unit could cover all of men, women, and children in America. We could all fit in the amount of storage space that we've created for our things. That's not bad, but it certainly matters what you place in that. Jesus, with an exclamation point, says, do not hoard those things that have shelf life. They don't last. A reporter asked Rockefeller's accountant after he died, he said, how much, did, uh, how much did he leave behind? The accountant quickly responded, all of it. Jesus commands that we're good at, at, at collecting things, and, and that's not a bad thing, but what happens is we begin to collect things that, that the value is, is something like a gallon of milk. And in a number of weeks, its value runs dry. And see, we pursue them because we're convinced that we're not ourselves treasured. So we look for things that do give us meaning, that give us purpose, that give us joy. And when they're not sourced in the one true giver, we're left feeling empty. So within this first point of depreciating treasure, I want you to hear that it decays. And secondly, I want you to hear you decay. You saw where it says, thieves break in to steal. You also are thieving. You're committing theft to your own self. Let me show you. You see this awkward, well, not awkward, but unique sandwich here in this passage where it talks about the eye. And we've heard about this metaphor, and Jesus seems to think it has a lot of teachable import. And you wonder, why is it sandwiched here? And here it is. 
Greed creates cataracts. That, that, that's it. Um, a couple other ways to think about this. You know, if you've, if you've ridden a horse or ridden a motorcycle lately or, or practically driven anything, wherever your eyes look, that's where you go. Um, and that's where your body directs whatever you're operating at the time. And this image also correlates to this idea of like sort of a keyhole in a door. And if you, you know, you can imagine the picture where, where a shaft of light shoots through it. Well, an eye that, that is, um, is bad or evil, it no longer lets that light pass through. And, and as we pursue these treasures that, that steal from our own selves, we can no longer see that we're doing it. Greed causes cataracts. C.S. Lewis said, all we call human history, that is money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, all of it is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. If the eye is bad, if the eye has been darkened, you can't see light anymore. When you think you're not treasured, you begin to seek treasure that you want, that you're desperate to provide you with the sense that you're treasured. We've explored how it itself decays. It's very practical. We understand this. There's, there's not too much to explain. And then we've seen how it, in fact, decays our own souls. Let me apply this. A recent study um, surveying 3,000 affluent Americans, ages 30 to 69, 700 uh, were, were net worth multimillionaires. Only 13%, 91 of them define themselves as wealthy. Hardly anyone thinks that they're greedy. Greed blinds. Materialism covers the light that's caught to penetrate your eyes into your heart. This is, this is why it's so deceptive. It's an eye sin. When you, when you commit adultery, when you lie, you know, it's right there what you did. But when we, when we enter this subject where, where Jesus is challenging us, he, he's doing it in such a way because he knows that we will dodge because we won't see it in our own selves. Almost instantly, as I was reading this, I was trying to think of people who I find to be greedy. And that's the telltale sign, Christian, that you yourself, I dare say it, may struggle with it. So, which fool's gold has blinded you? How do you find it? How, how do you locate that? How do you take inventory of that storage unit that you have begun to invest in the wrong things? Well, the, a really quick place to go is, uh, is trying to locate, trying to articulate the source of your worry. Now, don't go too far with that because I think it's probably a good thing to worry about our families. And, um, but it can ex- certainly get to an extent that it is totally unhealthy because we have laid way too much on our spouses or way too much on our children to be our saviors, to be our hope. Where do you worry? And I warn you, Christian, if, if you're convinced that greed is not my problem, Jesus is talking to you. How many of us have chosen a job based primarily on its money 
when we start asking questions about our spending habits, we, 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 we try to run away from those. This is how you find what that fool's gold is in your life. You say this, if I have this, everything is worth it. If I have this, I'm worth it. At the center of your soul, you say, this is precious to me. And therefore, whatever it is, you're a slave to it. And you will pay any price. So Christian, where, where do you find yourself um, in your mind, like perpetually worrying? Or um, in, in what ways can you discern where you have gone for the, what you thought was the real gold and you've picked up a piece of fake? Have you watched Moana lately? No? Okay, I have a toddler, so we watch these things. Um, you know, they're, they're getting uh, this jewel, right, that sort of represents um, both the source of life and, and, and certainly the thing that they need to locate and, and put back to where it belongs to, to bring about flourishing again. So they find this crusty old crab. Remember the crab scene? There's this big, cranky, um, really wealthy crab. He's sort of the, you know, he's kind of like the genie in the lamp. Multiple Disney images here. Um, he's got all this treasure. He's, his whole shell is treasured up. And, and Moana gets slick. So um, she's like, this is how I will get away from him. Because he's after the same jewel, right? So she sort of is able to, with, with some mud and some dirt, able to sort of disguise what appears to be that jewel. And instead of, and, and so she can slip out while the, while the crab thinks it's finding that thing and he picks it up and before he knows it, he's been fooled. It's simple, it's, it's childish. But this is what your eye is to your body. Jesus says what comes in it animates it, brings it life or death. And when you pursue treasure that in fact does not provide the worth you most want, you begin to die. You begin to deteriorate. Money and materialism can do two things. And see which one you're in. These are the two things it does to me. It's your significance. So it's, it's a source of approval. It's, it's the fact of where you're able to eat, where you're able to live, certain places you're able to go. Um, it, it makes us feel um, worth it. It makes us feel important. And the other, for me, and maybe for you, is it's our security. It's a source of control. I need it to be safe. I need to feel in control in this uncontrollable world. But here's the truth. And you know this. This is simple. This is, this is like 101 stuff. But that's why we must return to it. Because it simply can't prevent relational fallout. It can't. You know, to, you know it, it can't stop tragedy. I don't mean to be callous here, but it couldn't save Kobe Bryant. So the principle is this, Christian. When you don't think yourself as treasured by God, loved, wanted, pursued, delighted in, enjoyed, when you don't find that true in your heart, you will look for things to do that for you. But remember this, 
You can't trust yourself to figure out where some of that fool's gold is. I don't know, this would be a really hard thing to do. I don't, you have to be really careful about it, but perhaps in your Sunday school classes or your life groups, or maybe you just have a friend. Is there someone in your life who could like really practically say, you know, speak into your life about your budget or about your spending, and you both have this sort of thing where, all right, I'm gonna hand you mine, you're gonna hand me yours, and we're, gonna, we're going to, to speak into each other and, and, and in a way be like, you know, uh, that, I just want to say that I don't know if that's, I don't know if you need to be spending that much or, or, or doing that thing. That's really risky. That's, that's quite vulnerable. Um, and I don't even know if that's the solution, but, but folks, the principle is you can't trust your heart because, because greed is that weird, funky, deadly sin that hides, that sneaks around. And it's not, and here's the thing, we all, it, it's, it's in every area. It's, it's from impoverished um, to, to the highest echelons. And we just look to our neighbor, and, and we, we sort of escape guilt for it when we see or think we see someone who struggles with it. So how do we find financial peace? How do we find peace in general? We treasure the one who treasures us. And when we don't, we seek dying treasure. But when we do, we find appreciating treasure. To be, to be you know, compared or, or set in contrast to treasure that dies, treasure that flourishes, treasure that grows, treasure that you invest in, and it actually becomes more valuable than it began. This is the shiny storage unit. <laughs> Jesus says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is a pretty prolific Jewish phrase that they had been carrying on um, for, for many years since, um, you know, Abraham time and, and through the intertestinal period. And it, it, was, it was straightforward. It was just a common phrase that, that the Jewish people would refer to as almsgiving, as generosity, as acts of love. And, and Jesus, the, the, the ultimate rabbi, is, is bringing up here and he's saying, invest in those things that have eternal value. Maybe you'll remember the parable in Luke 12 um, where, where some of this language is surfaced again. And this is where you have the rich young ruler and he has had a bumper crop, right? He, he has had so much. And so the parable goes that um, I'm gonna build, I'm gonna get rid of my, my smaller units and build a bigger one so that I can store the surplus. I wanna read a part of it for you. This is Luke 12. The land of, <clears throat> of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. That's a good problem, right? It's not a bad problem. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my old barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I'll be able to store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God says to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the thing, death, that's, that's, that's a death. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So here's the problem. The problem isn't that he had a bumper field or bumper crop. The problem is he, he saw it as, as something to be collected. Remember that word thesaurus, that receptacle, that thing that sort of collects similar words? He saw the treasure to be gathered and consumed. 
This is, this is the paradigm that we must see, that, te- that Jesus is constantly seeking to change in our hearts. It wasn't that problem. That wasn't the problem, but the problem was he was only seeing it for himself. He didn't see it as an opportunity for someone else. He didn't see it as a means through which he might be able to talk about, to be about the kingdom of God. And I think it's, I mean, it's as practical as ever. The Masters will be on in a number of weeks. It's literally one of my favorite weeks of the year. It's beautiful. I love that tournament. But mark my words, and you believe it, every commercial, if it's not, you know, typical Rolex or some other car, will be about retirement. Charles Schwab. It'll just present the good life as we're told it should be. And it's this. Build a bigger barn. Have it for yourself for the future. That is not the good life that Christ is calling us to. Jesus says toward the end in Luke 12, sell your possessions and give to the needs of others. That's not a a prescriptive statement. It's a descriptive statement of your heart toward your stuff. Money and material possessions can be a beautiful thing. And they can be used in the most tremendous ways. But the reason that Jesus comes back to this over and over and over again is because they begin to provide a security that they were never intended to provide. And it's, and it's our job as, as, as followers of Christ in our communities, with our neighbors, with our friends, to, to be honest, to, to say, hey, can you show me somewhere that I've begun to disbelieve that God treasures me? And as a result, I've tried to find treasure elsewhere. Here's an example of heavenly treasure. The, the, the saint who had an awesome nickname called the Gold Mouth, he was a really good preacher. That'd be a good nickname. Um, he wrote this. He says, prayer is a rich treasure, a wealth that is never exhausted, an undisturbed refuge, a cause of tranquility, the root of a multitude of blessings and their source. Gosh, I wish I felt that way about prayer. And who is the greatest treasure? Uh, excuse me, treasure. Treasures in heaven. Who is that? <laughs> the greatest treasure that ever came from heaven was the Christ, was, was God's son. And I think it's very convenient to, to forget that this rabbi who lived in the first century died penniless and remained that way throughout his life. And, and he didn't, well, he didn't, <laughs> Mm. succumb to the temptation that Satan tempted him with right away in the wilderness. Remember that? I'll give you what you want. And Jesus says, you don't know what I want. He practiced what he preached. He didn't serve God and money. The most precious treasure was stripped of his value, was thrown away as fool's gold so that you I wish I could fill in your name, every one of you, so that you would be God's treasure. 
2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. How many times have we uttered the word blessing and it's referred to a very simple commodity? Christian, you are blessed with an affection that I'm desperate for each of us to to mine the rest of our lives because that's the only source of freedom from this. That's the only way that we're gonna be convinced that, that we're pursuing a fool's gold instead of a true gold. Do you know that you're treasured? Do you know that you're wanted? Gosh, that's powerful. That is powerful. I, I, one of the things I try to say to my students, um, because the word love has sort of, it's been, I've ingested it so much and the culture has so many different ideas about it, that one of the things I try to tell them is that I enjoy you. That changed my life when someone told me that God enjoys me. Have you ever heard that? Hope you have. By golly, you've heard it this morning. God enjoys you. He likes you, even in your worst moment. Are you kidding? When you begin to see that you are the true crown of his head, what is this stuff? Keller says this, Every treasure but Jesus will insist that you die to purchase it. You remember the, the stories of, uh, of uh, the Lord of the Rings and Gollum, and he literally calls the ring his precious, and everyone who ever possesses it says, precious. Those images get used way too much, but it's just perfect. Keller says, every treasure but Jesus will insist that you die. Remember how he just deteriorated? Remember how it just vexed even Frodo's heart? Keller goes on, Jesus is the one treasure who died to purchase you. When you realize you're his treasure, he'll become yours. When you realize you're his treasure, he'll become yours. Let's pray together. God, convince just one of us this morning um, that you have ascribed a, a particular value to us that, that no human checkbook could write. The, the implications are so powerful. They'll, they'll change the world. When we see huh, the beauty of who we are, made in your image, delighted over. One of your prophets wrote that you sung over your people. The context of that verse is they had just rebelled like crazy. And God, you choose to sing. Because why? Because kindness leads to repentance. Lead us up and out. Let us see that that we have been given a treasure that is beyond worth and is intended to be unleashed for the sake of your growing kingdom. We want to be a part of that and we want to be free from the fool's gold and we want to find true value in that diamond who was mined from heaven, who was crushed on earth so that each of these people and myself would become the diamond of your eye.
Lord, we want to treasure you because we know that when we do, we'll see our wonderful value. Amen.